0: Well, hello there, you beautiful seven-figure millennial listener, and welcome back to another episode of the seven-figure millennials podcast, where it is my job to help you to prioritize your happiness health, and relationships while making your biggest entrepreneurial dreams a reality. I am on my own journey to seven figures right now, sharing with you what is working from in the trenches, what I'm learning from these incredibly successful people that I'm bringing on the show. And today's guest is Andrew Kaplan. Andrew is the host of the Shadow the Mold podcast and author of the last law of attraction book you'll ever need to read. In less than one year since self-publishing his book, he sold over 50,000 copies and earned over 1,400 rave reviews. And just for some context, I dug this up from Scribe, which is a book publishing company run by New York Times bestselling author, Tucker Max. And he says, research suggests that the average self-published digital-only book sells about 250 copies in its lifetime. By comparison, the average traditionally published book sells 3,000 copies. Only about 250 to 300 of those sales will happen in the first year. For a traditional publisher to think of a nonfiction book as a success, it has to sell more than 10,000 copies over its lifetime. So, I just wanted to highlight that to you to show how impressive of a feat that this is that Andrew self published this book and it's had the incredible success that it has. So, not only that, but part of the reason behind the success is because Andrew offers readers a never before seen understanding of the topic that no other LOA or law of attraction book has ever been able to do by going the extra mile and finally addressing why people who get excited about trying it still can't manage to get in the habit of using these methods for just five minutes a day. In this episode, you are going to learn a ton, but the first First thing I want you to look out for is how Andrew has sold over 50,000 copies of his book and how he received over 1,400 reviews in less than one year. Another thing I want you to check out is the time-lapse method that Andrew shares that you can use to boost your gratitude practice. And gratitude is so freaking important when it comes to attracting more of what we want in our life and just be more happy and satisfied with things in general. And number three, I want you to listen to the discount trigger and protecting the prize methods that he shares that you can use to powerfully visualize and more of what you want in your life. And one last thing before we dive in, I wanted to give a pre-show listener shout out to listener His Best Album, who said, this is one of my new favorite podcasts as a self-proclaimed podcast junkie. Trust me when I say you definitely want to subscribe to this podcast. Brandon dives deep with different entrepreneurs and thought leaders, teasing out the habits that made them successful. I recommend starting with my favorite episode with Andre who went from robbing drug dealers to being a Harvard fellow. So thank you so much. His best album for leaving that review. And if you're listening to this and you haven't left a review yet, please take the time to do that. Not only does it make my day and I might give you a pre-show listener shout out in the future, but it helps other incredible people to discover the show. So with all that said, please enjoy this incredible conversation with my friend, Andrew Kaplan. If you had to pick between A, making a ton of money, B, being happy, healthy, and surrounded with people you love, or C, making a meaningful impact on the world, which would you choose? The good news is that today we don't have to choose. So the question is, how can entrepreneurs like you and me, who have a vision for our lives and aren't willing to settle for anything less, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? You and I are on a mission to find out, and we have an incredible journey ahead of us. My name is Brandon Fong, and welcome to the 7 Bigger Millennials podcast. Andrew Kaplan, welcome to the show. Brandon, thanks so much for having me here, my friend. I'm
1: really excited by where this conversation might go because uh, every conversation we have is always so interesting. So thanks so much for having me here, man.
0: Yeah, of course. So I wanted to start somewhere that has to do with comic books. So (laughs) in my research, I found out that out of college, you want to start a college strip and you wanted to be the next Garfield. So I thought that'd be an interesting place to start. What inspired you to get into this world of comic strips and tell us a little bit about what you were thinking heading out of college, wanting to become the next Garfield as a comic book artist?
1: Yeah, you know, it's so funny. That in and of itself was a pivot. So like when I grew up, um, I I grew up like when when comics had like comic books, not even comic strips. They had like this major revolution where um, a new company called Image Comics was formed and it was a six or seven artists that kind of struck out on their own. And rather than doing work for hire and coming up with all these characters and letting Marvel and D.C., you know, get all the royalties. They decided they were going to do their own thing once and for all, you know, Todd McFarlane, Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld, people like that. Uh, Todd McFarlane, who I followed for a while. And for me, I always just like to draw. I enjoyed drawing. And so it was really exciting to watch these people. I use comic books, by the way, to learn to draw. That's why I was aware of it. And it was exciting to watch these people um, follow their dream, like draw comics for a living, but not just for a living, but become multimillionaires I'm like, wow, this is cool. So I was basically inspired by someone who was an artist um, in Todd McFarlane, but also was an entrepreneurial instead as well. And um, I just was a really crappy comic book artist because it takes so much work and so much talent. And so does being a comic strip artist, but it takes a lot less. So I'm like, okay, I am not progressing fast enough. And by the way, I can notice in myself, I'm not passionate enough to keep this going, Mm -hmm. but I still want to draw. I at least want to follow that thread. Let me downgrade to comic strips because I can draw three panels a day, you know, every day, twice on Sunday type of deal. And, um, you know, that's a long story. That didn't work out either. But that's kind of the direction I took um, just because I enjoy drawing. And it was always like a fun thing. I just wanted to enjoy my day making money all day. That was the that's the dream everyone lives with. Right.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And something else I saw that I thought was interesting is that. I don't know if I, you can correct me here, but people told you growing up that you wanted to be a dentist or you acknowledged that you wanted to be a dentist growing up. So was that something that your parents instilled on you? Like, why was that ever interesting to you as a kid? And I know obviously it, it never materialized into anything, but we're kind of curious to hear that context behind that.
1: Yeah. You know, it definitely wasn't my decision. I just remember answering that at some point and I'm, I'm sure someone's, I could only assume that when I was really young, someone said, like, you're going to be successful and dentists fit the bill. Um, I never had a real legitimate interest in doing that, but it became the answer kind of like, you know, when you're in preschool or kindergarten and someone tells you what your favorite color is. Even when it changes, you just like stick with that answer. It's like, (laughs) you know, just it's so funny how we are programmed to respond in certain ways that are not necessarily not only in line with our truth, but also not in line with, you know, harmony of who we are as actual people, whether it's something as small as your favorite color or the job profession that you're choosing to do for the rest of your life.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I guess I'm going to continue with this random theme. So we, we have comic book artists thinking about being a dentist. And then I know another component of your background that I was curious to ask you, because I know we haven't had a conversation about this is copywriting. And Mm -hmm. this is something that I haven't, I don't think I've talked to anyone on the show about this yet, but I truly believe that copywriting is one of the most powerful skills to have on the planet. And if you're listening to this and you're like, what are you talking about copywriting, like the the patents and that kind of stuff? No, not copy, R-I-C-O-P-Y-R-I-G-H-T. That's something completely different. We're talking about copywriting, which is like using the art of the written word to inspire people to take action. So every word on the website, every ad you see on TV, every Facebook ad that stops your scroll, that's the copywriting we're talking about just to get people up to speed. But uh, getting back to, to Andrew here, I know that in your background, you have some copywriting and I was just kind of curious, like what, what inspired you to become a copywriter or at least study copywriting? Yeah. You know, this is part of just like the
1: evolution of being an entrepreneur where again, like out of the gate, I was running an art production studio where I was trying to get that first comic strip into syndication. And one, like one thread throughout all my successes and failures was, well, one, an interest in trying to be successful, of course, but two, an interest in people, an, an interest in human nature. And, you know, when you're stumbling on different things and searching for different things, I kind of like fell into copywriting in the sense like, one, this is about sales and growing a business, but two, it's a very unique look into the human psyche and to look to like, what what, what are our motivations? What what really makes us run? What makes us tick? What makes us think in a certain way? Because I think a lot of times people that actually know what copywriting is, at least on a surface level, they assume that it's manipulation or they assume Mm -hmm. that there's negative intent, which, you know, it's kind of like it's a knife. People can use it wisely or they can misuse it. You know what I mean? It's like someone with poor intentions is going to misuse that. But by the same token, copywriting is really, to me, finding the right combination of words to find the right person that's looking for the thing that you're trying to show them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this... It bleeds out into so many things because if you don't even want to be in business for yourself, copywriting is really useful for, you know, applying to colleges. It's really useful for, uh, you know, re- your resume or cover letters. It's useful for writing a profile on a dating app. Like It's useful for so many things <laughs> because it's about putting your best foot forward and giving the right kind of information that you want to elicit the right reaction people. And here's the funny thing. I'm segueing early to my book. I took my skill set of copywriting, I took my experience, and I actually put that into my book, but not with the, the motivation people think. It wasn't to sell someone on another book. It was to sell them on themselves. But more importantly, it was to get the book read. I wanted to, like, from, I think a lot of people, not to badmouth people, and but to give you a long-winded answer here, I think some people, they like to write a book or put a book out just so they can say that they're smart, or they can look smart, or they can just, you know, it's status, Right. For me, when I wrote this specific book, the last law of attraction book you'll ever need to read, it was very intentional and very important to me that from page one to page 208 or 210, the reader was taken on an experience and that the words flowed. And believe it or not, while I took, you know, 16 or 17 years of experience with the law of attraction in my life, I put that into the book. The writing style was inspired by, you know, you get a pamphlet in the mail about a new health supplement. And they manage to hold your attention throughout the whole thing. And they give you interesting factoids or or interesting perspectives that reframe the way you look at that specific topic. That's what I wanted to do with that. I brought the copywriting into that in hopes that the book was going to be way more easier and interesting to read in the higher, more meta hope that the person would then be inspired to take the content from it and use it for their own personal self-advantage.
0: I love that. And I actually identified that as something I wanted to have a conversation. So I'm glad it just naturally led to this point because I, I read the book and that is something that I took specific note of. I'm like, I, I, I forgot that you were a copywriter and I'm like, this is a copywriter that's writing this because it's like at the end of every chapter, it's selling the next chapter. So I think that's so relevant to anybody that's listening to this that would consider writing a book that once you once they purchase the book, that's actually step like zero, almost like you, there are so many books. We all know this. Like we all have those stacks of books that have never been opened. Right. And so it is your job as an author, as a content creator to not only get, the purchase of the book, which requires copy, but also the consumption of the book, which is something that Andrew does really, really well. And I think this, this, there's two things I want to dive into on this topic very specifically. One is the title of your book because mm. this, there's lots of psychology that goes into this, so I wanted to kind of frame this for people. So, and then and then have you explain it. So the title of the book is the last law of attraction book you'll ever need to read. And if you search law of attraction on Amazon, I'm just trying to think about it from the perspective of somebody that's searching, somebody that obviously knows what the law of attraction is. They're interested in consuming content on this. And they read all the other book titles and they see that pretty much, you know, all of them are pretty standard stuff. And then they see this one title that punches them in the face. And it's like, you know, if I'm going to read a book on the law of attraction <laughs> and this one says it's the last one I'll ever need to read, how do you not buy that? So I just wanted to say, first of all, well done with like that as far as positioning, but I'm just kind of curious, how did you come up with that name? And was it the name that you always had in mind for your book?
1: Right. So it's, wow. I think this will be like the long-winded interview or answer episode here. Cause I have so much to say about this, Cool. All right. Um, but it. I want to serve your audience. So I guess, first of all, regarding the title, um, I don't even remember how it specifically came to me other than the intent. I, as someone, so I, I think whether it's the law of attraction or it's weight loss or it's relationships or wh- whatever that thing in terms of, you know, leveling up in your life, I think a lot of times people fall into the trap of finding really good information, but rather that they, they over consume it and underimplement it. I, as someone myself, I, you know, went through so many law of attraction books in the beginning before taking action on them. I wanted a book that I could have used 20 years ago that would explain the content, that would explain the topic, that would give user-friendly techniques, but also hold a mirror up to the reader, whether it was their first law of attraction book or not, and make them understand why they may in the past have not been taking very simple, easy action. Why are they not using this content to actually get the wins that they're supposed to? Now, here's the funny thing as a copywriter. Yes, I think I wrote a really attractive sounding book, but there's a danger here. And this is where integrity comes in. I put this out knowing that if I did not deliver on the promise of that book, I would get killed in the reviews. Meaning I say to everyone out there, Make a bold promise. Make the boldest promise you can make as long as you can keep it. Because if you mm. can't keep it, it's going to be counteractive to what you want to accomplish. Um, I was very intentional. Like, is In fact, it's so funny. I came up with not only the title, I designed the cover very early on because I would look at it on the screen. I would almost meditate on it every morning before I wrote a chapter. I wanted to always align like, okay, what am I looking to get the reader out of this? Is there certain content that's going to be in co- contradiction to that? It, it, am I putting? Am I making something too wordy? Am I going off in the wrong direction? Like, what can I do about this title? And how is it going to fit in with all the other titles so that I'm actually living up to this promise? That and I'm not sure if I think I answered most of your question and probably about ten others, but I really want to um, be clear that it's it's very dangerous to do what I did if you can't back it up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And our mutual friend and my mentor and strategic partner, Jules, we obsess over single words all the time in our copy, and it can make the world of a difference what one single word does. And so it's kind of like a nerdy thing that I'm always doing with Jules is we're picking apart the meaning of different things. And I think that another thing that's hidden inside of the psychology of your book title is it's the last law of attraction book you'll ever need to read. So it's it's calling out the target audience of somebody who has already consumed material right like and so so inherent by the nature of the title and think about this for whatever you're doing maybe it's on your website maybe it's maybe it is the title of your book maybe it's a copy that you're writing for your facebook whatever it is that is a really key component of copy is calling out the right target audience, because maybe he could have called out the wrong target audience and we'll get into how successful the book's been later. But like, if you had called out the wrong audience inside that book, it wouldn't have had the success that it's had as a result of it. So just wanted to highlight. And I know people are thinking we're talking about the title of the book for so long here, but I think it's so relevant and so important for everybody to think about who you're calling out in your copy. And like Andrew said, make sure you're fulfilling upon the promise of your copy, because that is a way that you can absolutely lose interest and support of your audience if you're not delivering on what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, and Brandon, real quick, just to beat a dead horse only in hopes of giving your audience value, when it comes to a book, the title and the cover are more important than anything else. It's like If you don't got those on lock the way you need them to be, nothing else is going to work. And I wish, I- I'm not a guy who remembers like the quote by the person and the name and this and that, so I can't give you the specifics, but I do remember reading a specific story about someone that, you know, their book was going nowhere. All they did was change a title. And all of a sudden it, it took off like, man, this is like back in like either the thirties or the forties. This is like an old school book. It took off in a way that they never would have imagined. That title is, is everything. And Mm -hmm. if you're not an author or an aspiring author, you still want to take that lesson because what you call yourself, what you name your company, these potentially can be every, I mean, you know, Apple's Apple. I mean, they've they, they, the way they did that was, you know, they put it, there's an A in there. So people are going to find it first in the phone book, or maybe that was Amazon. One of them had that just, they wanted to start with an A. So, you know, things can be key in different ways, shape or form, but it is really understandable and really important to obsess about certain details because these are, these are, these are ideals that you're going to live and die by, that your business is going to live and die by, but it's also going to inform how well you're going to be able to operate in terms of integrity, in terms of harmony, work-life balance all these things really do fit together so yeah it's it's good that we're harping on the title of the book it really is that important in the context of everything else.
0: Yeah. And not to say that I'm better than Apple, but seven figure millennials, because it starts with a number goes above a, so yes, <laughs> yes. So anybody listening to this, you can notice that inside of your podcast, that it should be up towards the top because it starts with uh, a number. But anyways, th- there's one other thing I wanted to highlight in terms of the relationship of copywriting and podcasting, because Andrew is a podcast host himself. I was uh, featured on his show, which I was very grateful for. But one of the things I just wanted to say publicly about, you, Andrew, is that you have a very powerful way to synthesize information. And I think that this is naturally what happens when you're a good copywriter. And this is what my mentor, you know, since we've been talking about Jules, Jules said this to me the other day is that when I interview someone, I can understand someone from the perspective of a marketer. And I know how to ask questions that kind of compel the audience to see people in a specific way. But that's because of my background in copywriting. And I never realized I was doing that until Jules called it out to me the other day. So I was kind of curious to just ask you, do you view copywriting has had an influence in your ability to ask questions and be a good podcaster?
1: Um, well, first of all, thank you for the compliment. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll never <laughs> say no to to compliments. Um, I, I would put it this way: I believe that the study that I've put into copywriting has impacted a number of things positively, including that. I mean, you know, in the end, you still need a natural curiosity. You still need to care, but copywriting is such an important skill because it transcends the act of copywriting. It just it goes into everything. It go because when you're a co- like copywriters teach you or copywriting teaches you to get really concise, really on point. This is something that we were talking when you were a guest on my podcast. And that really leads us into synthesizing information and, and finding the lesson and finding like the go away detail from like a, a word salad, like even my long-winded answers. You could I could probably listen to this back and I'll write two or three sentences for each answer. I'm like, this is what I was trying to say, you know, here's to save you <laughs> some, some listening time here, but um, yeah, copywriting has been huge just in, in everything that I've done because I've implemented it into the way I go about business and life. So in ways that I'm both aware of and unaware of, it's been a very positive influence into how I do everything.
0: Yeah. Just one more comment on copywriting and then I want to move into something else. But one thing that I found is a byproduct of being a copywriter is it helps me think clearer. <laughs> yes. So it like, like, like I have to, in order to articulate something concisely and clearly so that people understand it, it's kind of shaped how I think my, because it's just the way I have to articulate myself. And so that has downstream effects in your journaling and the way that you are talking to yourself, which your internal dialogue is a huge component of how I'm sure we'll talk about that for for law of attraction later. So just wanted to add that last thing on there, that if you are somebody that's listening to this, you don't even know what copywriting is, or if you've explored it, you kind of know what it is. You don't, I would highly encourage. This is one of those skills that has exponential results in all areas of your life. If you understand how to effectively use copy. So I'll put a period at the end of the, the, (laughs) the copy conversation for now. Maybe we We can revisit it if it comes up. But the the other thing I want to talk to you about, Andrew, before we dive into the specific law of attraction stuff is I have met. New York times bestselling authors that have like 50 reviews on Amazon. Mm -hmm. I, and, 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 um, you know, I know your book has at the time, and this is probably already outdated because I did this yesterday when I was researching you, but as of yesterday, it has 1,382 reviews of which 1,096 are five stars. You just surpassed the 50,000 copies landmark. And it took a year as I learned before that you were on the Forbes 21 books to read in 2021. I'm kind of listing all your accolades here, but I wanted, I wanted to frame this because I did some research ahead of time and I found this snippet here. But it says that research suggests that the average self published digital only book sells about 250 copies in its lifetime. That's 250, 250 copies in its lifetime. By comparison, the average traditionally published book sells 3,000 copies. Um, and then he goes on a little bit. And then one other thing I'll say is that uh, it's um, this was about how to get on the New York Times bestseller list. It says the category and window of your release will significantly impact the number of copies required to hit the bestseller list, but 5,000 copies during any one week period is the minimum. I would recommend 10,000 books to be sure. And I think that was Tucker Max that wrote that from Scribe, who's, who's a multiple New York Times bestseller. All that to say, 50, 50,000 copies of a book is, is an impressive feat. And to do that in one year is just absolutely incredible. So, you know, and I know you're self-published, so I I wanted to maybe have a discussion about some of the things that you've learned on this journey of selling 50,000 copies of your book. Obviously we've already talked about making sure people are consuming the book by leveraging your copy. We've talked about your title, but are there any any other high level things that you've learned over this year of promoting this book and selling 50,000 copies that you think most people are not aware of? Well, I'll say this: it's it's been a very
1: pleasant surprise. I, I had when when I put like when I was being very intentional about what this book was going to be, I believe it or not, and I don't even know if I if I would have given this advice to myself, but I was not specific on numbers. I mean, I want to hit a million, even though I don't have a timeline, and I also want to hit a million YouTube subscribers just because it's a good guiding northern star. It'll keep me engaged and keep me doing things. Um, I will say this: here's what I learned that I believed was the, one of the main reasons that kind of like went to to this. And um, I can make this claim and you could either believe me or not believe me, anyone listening out there. The only way I could ever demonstrate this claim is if you're interacting with me long enough to see whether it's true or not. But I really want to make an impact in a person's life through the book. And I think that is what's led to more reviews than most people get and why it's led to a lot of sales for an independent person. What I mean by that is where does this care of of making impact and giving value? What does that do? Well, here's what it does. It means that I took the extra effort to write out an autoresponder email um, sequence that when people sign up for my bonuses, they're getting more value, that the bonuses that I've created in line with the book supplement what they've got even though the book in and of itself is enough. I was like I said before I was intentional about making sure this is a book that you can read from beginning to end and that it's comfortable, it's easy. I I tried to actually make a difference here and when people write me um oftentimes I write them back right away. And that's another thing like people you know most people like oh an, the author of this book will never write me whether they're a best-selling author or they're a nobody. They're not going to write back to their readers. Me, if I see an email come in and I'm not doing something else, I reply right away because I care about giving that person an answer to their question. Now, I believe all these things connect the dots that retrospectively I I, this wasn't my plan but I think retrospectively this means a lot more positive word of mouth this means that they're comfortable more comfortable about sharing the book with a friend because they know that if the friend has a question Mm -hmm. I'm going to treat the friend well this makes them feel good about writing a a five-star review because um by the way, I celebrate my five-star reviews. When Amazon had the technology, I would reply to every Amazon review in the comments. They discontinued that. And you know why they oh. told me they discontinued it? Because people weren't using it enough. And I'm thinking to myself, why is not every author in the world responding to their five-star reviews and thanking the person and addressing it individually? And you know, most people, they would look at their review and they'll bask in it. Maybe they'll tell their significant other. Me, I'm responding- in the comments, back when Amazon let me do it. And on my YouTube channel, every time I come out with a video, I feature a five-star review. And I thank the person. I put it up there. And on Facebook, every you know, we get busy sometimes. But for a while there, I did a month where every single day of that month, I put a new five-star review. And these were current ones. These aren't where I'm digging in a couple months. I'm getting these fresh ones. I'm celebrating it. So all these things, Brandon, and yet another long-winded answer of mine is, I am doing whatever I can to be intentional in terms of giving somebody um, feedback, in terms of giving them acknowledgement, in terms of celebrating, in terms of genuinely being grateful, but more importantly, at the foundation of all this, this is meant to be a book for someone that's interested in this, that's literally going to change their life, shift their paradigm, give them the new perspective and leave them forever changed so that they'll never... Uh, no matter what happens after they're done with the book, they'll never have to look back and under misunderstand or not know why they weren't taking action beforehand. I explained all that. And I wanted to give that person that gift because that's what I would have wanted like 15 or 20 years ago.
0: That response is so powerful because I just wanted to highlight the fact that, like, you didn't say, Oh, I'm running Facebook ads and doing XYZ, or I'm getting featured on podcasts with me. You know, maybe you're doing some component of that, but I think so many people get distracted by all the things that people say that you should do, but at the core of it, are like the fundamental things that Andrew's talking about is like, did you write something that fulfills on the promise? Are you engaging with people? Do you have good intentions with the book? Do you really want to make an impact with the people that are reading your book? And like I think you said earlier in this conversation, so many people write a book to write a book and there's really not much heart that goes into it or intention behind it. And maybe it's just also has to do with the topic of your book <laughs> and the kind of people that it attracts. Maybe that's some other some other component of it. So, yeah. All that to say, you know, I think there's lots of takeaways for people listening of when it comes to structuring, if you're considering writing a book and leveraging that. So I I, I did want to dive into the topic of your book because I think I I read it yesterday and I'm really excited to kind of ask you some clarifications and things that I think are very valuable for the audience. But for people listening, we've talked about it. It's obviously in the title of his book, the last law of attraction book you'll ever need to read. But for those listening that maybe aren't as familiar or may have some common misconceptions about what law of attraction means, can we just make sure we're all on the same page, clear some of the biggest misconceptions and explain what is LOA or law of attraction?
1: Yeah, so it's funny. I have a YouTube video where I break it down in 60 seconds. So I'm always living up to the standard of, let's see if I can be that that close. <laughs> All right, but, I'm going to time you. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the law, long and short of law of attraction is what you focus on you attract into your life. And a lot of people don't really understand this or realize if you look at yourself under a microscope, you are not this solid mass that you are perceiving yourself to be, you are vibrating. It's just a bunch of different frequencies and everything that we have, everything that we are, it's all frequencies. Our thoughts are frequencies and they vibrate and everything around. And basically, if you believe in the law of attraction, when you are thinking about something and you're sending that out into the universe, since like frequencies attract like frequencies, the universe will mirror that back into you, into your three-dimensional experience. It might take a week. It might take a month. It doesn't matter. It's on the way to you. If you don't believe in the law of attraction, there's still something to this because when you are focusing on things that you want or focusing on anything in general, your mind, your subconscious mind is so powerful. Your brain is such a powerful supercomputer that you are going to engage in behaviors, and you're going to engage in thoughts and different things that are going to end up getting you where you want to go. So Mm -hmm. for example, if you want a job promotion, and you're thinking about that every single day, if you believe in the law of attraction, which obviously I do, that frequency, that that those thoughts of having that job promotion are sending that out to the universe, which is magnetically pulling it back to you, where all of a sudden people at work will notice you more. They'll like your ideas more. They'll be more responsive to you. Your boss will look at you in a new light. Like Something will happen. Things will start going into motion where, boom, you've got your job promotion. But by that same token, if you don't, again, I know I'm, you didn't ask this, but I'm going to address it. What if you don't believe in the law of attraction? Well, Again, the thoughts that you're having, thinking about what you want, all of a sudden you don't even realize that your subconscious mind is kind of behind the wheel. You're being more assertive in the cadence of your voice, in your body language, in the ideas that you come up with, in your willingness or gratitude in working on a Saturday where someone else wouldn't want to, in your resourcefulness to get around working on a Saturday, but still doing a better job that your boss will also notice. There's so many different combinations of things that will possibly be happening. And just again, words out here. A lot of people are thinking, well, hey, Andrew, that's nice and everything, but I've tried this before. I've thought about the job promotion and it hasn't come. How do you explain that? And my answer to that is when you are thinking of this job promotion, are you thinking about it with impatience, frustration, uncertainty, doubt, anything like that? Or are you thinking about it with anticipation and confidence and joy and enthusiasm and satisfaction? Because if you're thinking about it when you're feeling bad, you're not actually thinking about it. You're thinking about the lack of it you're reinforcing the lack of what you want and you don't realize that's happening. So a huge hook in all this is when you're thinking about the things things that you want, you wanna make sure you actually feel good about it to ensure that you're actually thinking about that thing rather than the lack of the thing.
0: Yeah, and so I, I wanna clear some other misconceptions as I've come to understand the law of attraction. And let me just say that like one of the pioneering, if not arguably like the pioneering, pieces of work or whatever you want to call it about this was called the secret. And I believe it it was released when I was about 10 years old. And, um, so I don't know what, what year that was, but, but, um, when it, uh, it was about that age, but mm-hmm. basically the, the secret pioneered this. And I was watching this when I was 10 years old. And like, so this is something that I started ingraining from a very, very early age. And just to get away from some people, maybe like, okay, this is really woo-wee stuff. We're talking about sending magnetic thoughts out to the universe and that kind of stuff. There is a part of your brain. You can correct me if I'm wrong, Andrew, it's called the reticular activating system or RAS. Mm-hmm. And a, a very common example of this that you can see in your life is if I paid you one for every yellow car you saw for the rest of the day, you're gonna to start to see more yellow cars and so you know this is kind of the stuff where we talk about yeah it sounds you sit and you visualize and you want more of what you want but like Andrew was saying it's like it manifests in other ways because it's like you are paying attention to more of the things that you want like Andrew said maybe it's even the tone of your voice or the way you approach things if your frame of mind is more on what you want and you have the intention correct intentions behind it you start to manifest these things as a result of the way that you may not even be realizing that you're taking action in ways that you would if you weren't wouldn't have been, um, thinking about things that way. So just wanted to comment. I don't know if there's any other comments you wanted to make on that. And yeah. Well, just to wrong. say
1: like a real, you know, something that a danger that people have in this, a, a way that people can not benefit the way they should is how easy it is to see something as ridiculous and therefore discounted. Now
0: mm.
1: here we are, we're, I, I'm not even sure where you are right now. I'm in New York and we're having this conversation live in real time, right? And how is this possible? Now I can rationalize that my computer, which is plugged into the wall, it's a really long wire and somehow <laughs> your computer, I can unplug Wisconsin. it right now and we're still having this conversation. So like, how is this possible? Well, we understand satellites. We've had this scientifically explained to us and we see the results. Therefore we don't question it, but really that's just another way of saying that there are frequencies and there are things happening that are outside our perception and our awareness. If yeah. I were to blow a dog whistle really loud right now into the microphone, That wouldn't bother you. That wouldn't be very rude. But If it was a dog in the room, the dog would be flipping out. Why? Because the dog's ears can detect those frequencies or something that we cannot detect ourselves. In other words, you don't even need to worry about how this is even possible. All you have to do, in in my opinion, is experiment with it in a non-attached, non-needy way. And let the results speak for themselves because it's either going to work or it's not. But, you know, the worst thing you can do is just discount something automatically without even giving it a chance when it might benefit you and it doesn't hurt you to try it.
0: Yeah. I wanted to ask, so my first, I have a very clear first experience of the law of attraction. So you can imagine little 10 year old Brandon, I'm shown this video of the secret and I get really excited about it because what, what 10 year old is not really excited about it. And, um, in the secret, there's this scene of this kid that is like, he's, he's staring at this picture of a bike and that eventually it kind of shows that he, his parents ended up buying him a bike or something along those lines. So, uh, as a kid, my dad is allergic to basically anything with, her. So cats, dogs, you name it. I could never have an animal. And I wanted a gecko really badly. And so I started visualizing this, this gecko to practice the secret thing when I was 10 years old and I was out with my mom and I don't remember what exactly, how it transpired, but we were in a pet store. We we're having a conversation with someone about a gecko. Cause I was just interested in it. And this lady said, you know, I have a bunch of geckos at home that I, that they've lost their tails. And, um, they're, so they're, so they're not, um, you know, fully back to health or whatever, but we can't have them in the store because people want geckos with tails in it. Do you want them? And, and it was one of those experiences where, you know, as a 10 year old kid, I was like, holy crap, like this, this shit works. You know, it's like, I was sitting and dreaming about like this gecko and here I show up in this store and this lady's like, Hey, do you want them? I have, I'll give you the the container and like, there's two geckos. They don't have tails, but it's, so that was like an incredible experience for me and realizing and watching this happen. So I wanted to ask you, did you have, do you have like a story of maybe the first time you began to experience this in your life when you realized it was real? Well, you know, it's, it's really interesting because I When I first learned about it, um,
1: I was just trying to get my business going and I was just looking for positive mindsets, positive modalities. Law of attraction was one of many. And I would experiment with it and I would notice little things. But for me, um, you know, it's like when I would start to feel gratitude, good things would start to happen but I also kind of fell off. I never stuck with it. I used to think it was inconsistent. I, I later learned that I was the one who was being inconsistent, but mm-hmm. believe it or not, it was like a negative experience and the aftermath of that, that really sold me. And because, you know, I learned about this thing probably like 2004, 2008 rolls around and I have a really bad week where that business that I was desperately working on that goes down the tubes. And like a couple of days later, my girlfriend of three years breaks up with me over text. So Rough week, right? And I feel yeah, like ninety okay. percent of my life is gone in, in one fell swoop. And I remember just waking up really, like, just depressed and upset, and just like, what's going on? Like, what am I doing with my life already? And uh, for some reason, I was inspired to be like, listen, I got to do something. And that law of attraction thing kind of works. Whenever I did it, you know what? I'm I'm just stubborn and indignant right now enough that I'm going to dive in. I'm going to go all in, and I don't care what happens, when it happens, why it happens. I don't care any of that. I'm just going to. I'm going to do those gratitude methods that I know about and visualization. We're just going to see what, what happens, which is really just another way of saying five or 10 minutes a day of doing this. That's all I made, my, made sure that I did. And the results were like miraculous because like within two weeks, I felt better, which I think everyone with a broken heart knows that that's a huge deal. If you feel better in two weeks, within three months, I'm in a brand new, way better relationship, way healthier. Within four months, I'm making more money than ever before in my life before then. And within six months, like everything's different. I'm in the best shape of my life. Everything's running on all cylinders. And I finally learned not from a book and not from a video and not even from another person. I learned from my own life experience that this works when you work it, even if this isn't the thing that's working, something was working. And from that moment on, I had an insight into my own experience that no one could take away from me. Just knowing that if I do a month of gratitude, things are going to happen. Maybe they're going to happen exactly the way I want them, or maybe they're going to be better, or maybe it's going to be delayed. But when I don't care about it so much, I just relax and let it unfold. I'm always pleasantly surprised. I'm always satisfied. And I'm always leveling up my life in a way that would not be possible for me personally without approaching it in this way.
0: Mm-hmm okay so thank you so much for sharing that I really really liked hearing the context of you transforming your life as a result of using the the law of attraction the one thing that I, I did want to clarify on and this is one thing that I personally think obviously feel free to disagree with me is usually missing from the LOa conversation as someone who believes in the law of attraction and this kind of stuff I, I think that there's a huge misconception lots of times that people think that they can just visualize and meditate and think about what they want and and for me at least in my life it, it, it that is in combination of so visualizing, understanding what I want in combination with taking massive action, focused execution, evaluating what's working, what's not working, getting forward, moving momentum. And so that that is something that I I I have, I mean, there, outside of the gecko story, there are some miraculous things that happen where like, whoa, that was really cool. Um, you know, I, I think that some people think that you need you can you can just sit and visualize this stuff and it just materializes out of thin air. So it was just kind of curious to kind of get your opinion on that and how you, as somebody who creates content in the space positions that in in for the in, in the loa world. Right.
1: So I I'll put the, I agree with you that sitting around doing nothing isn't enough, but it's a start. In other words, yeah. you start by sitting on your couch and visualizing. But and really the, the thing is massive action to me only works when it's inspired action. When it's an action from and I'm not saying that you said this, but just for people listening for a clarification, When you're taking massive action from a place of scarcity thinking or a place of lack, a place of frustration, a place of desperation, you're often going to take the wrong action. Whereas if you sit on your couch doing nothing and visualizing all day, and then an idea pops in your mind that you're excited about, whether it's easy to do or quote unquote hard to do, that's the action that you take. We we are still in a three-dimensional reality here. We're in a physical, tangible space where we have to do things. That's part of the magic of being alive. And people that don't think it's magic, it's only because they don't think that their result and that their happiness is guaranteed, which in my opinion, it is when they do this. So I agree with like actions required, but the real important thing is you can start with the thoughts and you can simultaneously do the thoughts, which will help you, whether you're, again, you're bringing it from the universe or your subconscious mind or some other source that we have not identified, you will bring about the ideas and the inspirations for the right action to take. And then when you take it, it'll be, you know, some of it might feel hard but it'll be easier and it'll be a lot more like this book. I wrote it in nine and a half weeks. I didn't write it like with a big smile on my face for nine and a half weeks. I was waking (laughs) up really early. I was staying up till four. Some days it was hard, but by that same token, I was really excited about it. I would look every day at the cover that I, I like the cover. Some people don't, I love it. And I think by the way, this isn't all intentions also like I made sure this cover can be read really small if you're looking at it on Amazon because I want people to notice it. So you know there's there's fundamentals here. But um I was so excited about that every single day even when the work was hard that I believe that really bled into the way I worded things, that that bled into the intention I had, the way I uh, I carried myself throughout the process, and the way I continue to support the book, being excited to have these conversations on podcasts, and being excited to answer emails, and being excited in any which way I can to get that information and the awareness of the book out there more and more and more. It's work, but it's inspired work.
0: Mm, love that, yeah. And I'll just say to highlight that, based on my experience, you know, visualizing and practicing gratitude and that kind of stuff. What you know, I, I will find that when I'm focusing on this more stuff, this this stuff more often. I do get ideas and inspiration that I probably wouldn't have had if it weren't for me committing to those kinds of things. And that's just my way of thinking is like my wife will tell you, Leah, it's just like I get an idea and I'm already... I'm already moving it forward. (laughs) Is it the time it takes me to get an idea and start putting something into place is, is very, very minimal. And that's just the quick start in me. And I'm sure maybe there's lots of entrepreneurs that resonate with that, but I found that, that pairing the inspiration, like you said, coming from the right spot of visualizing and then taking action on those things. That's kind of what has worked for me as far as kind of pairing the law of attraction with action implementation. Um, So one other book that I have read recently that has had a huge impact on me is The Surrender Experiment by Michael Singer. And for some longtime listeners, they might have, have listened to me mention this in a few other episodes. But one of the things that became apparent to me in reading The Surrender Experiment is that Sometimes really bad shit just happens to you, right? And like it's just it's just the way life works. And sometimes that bad shit happens, and you're like, the law of attraction isn't working. I'm visualizing all this stuff, and surrender experiment isn't really about the. I mean, I guess you could argue it's about the law of attraction. But long story short, this is the crazy story of the surrender experiment, and he has these crazy terrible experiences with him that happen. But as a, a, on the opposite side of that experience was actually exactly what he needed to get the intended outcome that he was looking for, anyways. And so I was just kind of curious because I think that lots of people think that law of attraction isn't working when they have these terrible experiences. Why the heck is this happening to me? But what they don't realize is that is actually the seed of what they need to actually get more of what you want. So I'm kind of curious to kind of get your opinion on that. If you found that to be true with your readers and with yourself, if you know the bad stuff is actually a part of what we need to go through to get the good stuff.
1: Well, I, I'd say that you know, hopefully someone can use the bad stuff as a way by which you know they can use it to their advantage in some way, whether it's it's mm. pushing them to action or something else to get to the good thing. But but another piece I think it's important to clarify, um, and I'm not saying it's the secret's fault, but um just because that that's always been an example where people either loved it or hated it, I think a lot of people hated the secret because without intending to, for some reason, they interpreted the secret's message as a promise that life is now perfect now that you know about the law of attraction. Mm. But let's say, again, let's let's go with the basis that the law of attraction is real. Well, this is real based on the momentum of your thoughts and your thought patterns and things of that nature. Who knows all the stuff that's swimming in the back of your head right now that may be negative, that might be inviting a negative experience. And that's not mm-hmm. to scare you, by the way. That's just to explain that you can't predict everything. You can't quarterback everything out, which is why my answer my perspective of law of attraction is What can we do to be strategic about this with the understanding that life is not perfect and that we're not thinking perfectly? What can we do? Well, my answer is let's find something that we can do for five minutes a day. So it doesn't take up a lot of time. That's fun to do so that it doesn't feel like an obligation that allows us to reinforce and um, build up the momentum of positive thinking and positive thoughts and positive energy and, and all those things. For me, it's like, I can't guarantee a perfect life, but what I can do is take five minutes out every single day and build up more of the momentum of the positive than the negative so that that almost overwrites some other negative pattern that was going to bite you about a month from now, but it's not going to bite you now because now you're focusing on other good things. So I don't want to come in from the perspective of, and I know you didn't ask this specifically. Just this is, I'm inspired to say this. I don't want to go from the perspective of running away or hiding from the possibility of a bad thing because it's impossible for us to quarterback that out. But what I do want to do is be strategic and reinforce the positive thing more and more and more, so that life gets better and better and better, and that you actually end up skipping a lot of bad stuff that you don't even realize you skipped. Like the the, the best thing that could be happening right now everyone's actually they've missed out on a lot of bad stuff that they didn't even realize they would have done because they're thinking positively. And that bad stuff that still happens to them, they can strategically use it to their advantage to get another win in life.
0: Yeah. And this may be something that people have heard a million times, but I'm just going to say it. But like my my personal life perspective is that it's either I'm winning or I'm learning. And so if something isn't going well, I always look for the learning that came as a result of the quote unquote negative thing. And that's just kind of the way I always like to view experiences, whether or not societally it would be considered positive or negative. I always think that there's a seed of equivalent greatness in understanding the positive component of that quote unquote negative experience. So did you want to add something yeah, to that, well,
1: I, First of all, I love hearing, I want to um, acknowledge you for that because what you're demonstrating for your audience is a huge key of positive emotional resilience. And that is such a, a key factor in everything. And like from everyone has their own perspective, but I would advise people, whether they're being inspired by what you just said or some other way to really focus on how they respond when bad things happen, because I'm going to be the last person to be like, well, it's not a big deal. Like whatever is going in on in someone's life that's negative, Who am I to say that it's difficult or hard? It is what it is, but it's still in their best interest to have a positive perspective. Like me, I'm I'm a New Yorker, so I was always like a Derek Jeter fan in the New York Yankees. (laughs) And the thing I loved about Derek Jeter, the player, was he only worried about the things that he could control. So just as an add-on, if something bad is happening in your life and it's within your control to do something about it, cool. And there's something that's not within your control, if you can do so with a level of ease, Turn it over to the universe, or if you believe in God, turn it over to God, saying, "Okay, God, I'm I'm doing this part that I can focus on that I'm in control of. I'm going to do my heavy lifting, and this part that I've got no control over, I relieve myself of the responsibility, and I leave it over to you. I'm taking responsibility of what I can control. And it sounds well. Hopefully, for some people, it sounds really intelligent. But if it sounds ridiculous to you, I've had moments and situations where things have been really rough and out of my control, and I had trouble sleeping, and I'm like, I can't do anything about this universe. It's all yours. And the next day, not that this happens every single time, but in certain instances, next day it's all better and everything's all good and it resolved itself.
0: Yeah. There's, I think I might've said this in a previous episode, but, um, One of the people that I had the pleasure of meeting, his name is Hal Elrod. He wrote The Miracle Morning. Yeah, And if anybody's not familiar with his story, like he, I think he was 21 or 22 and he got hit like head on by a drunk driver, almost, I think he flatlined and then turned, that was like a life-changing experience. And then years later, he found out he had cancer and then came back from cancer. So just crazy experiences. And he has this thing he calls the five minute rule where he something bad will happen to him and he sets a timer for five minutes and he allows himself to just have whatever negative thoughts be pissed off at the world, whatever it is for five minutes. And he did this when he got cancer, he set a timer for five minutes and then, and then he was like, okay, after the five minutes is up, I'm done. And I'm just going to move forward into, into thinking about how I can solve this and what the positive experience as a result of this is. And that was kind of something that he shared. And so that was just kind of something that I wanted to share is like, you know, even the most crazy experiences, like finding out that you have cancer you know, yeah, allow yourself to be human for a little bit. But the more that you can focus your energy on what the good is and what you can solve about it, uh, and less dwelling about, uh, you know, and the negative thought patterns and potentially attracting more negative things, the better.
1: Yeah. And just to add on real quick, don't do it because you should be expected to have this emotional maturity that you can handle cancer or whatever else. Do it because it is strategically in your interest. For, at least from my perspective, this is all like, what can you do that's strategically in service to yourself? Like, I'm never going to tell someone that they should feel a certain way when it's their own personal life experience. All I would tell them is whatever's going on, what can you do strategically to invite a better result and a better outcome for yourself? That's what you should do because why wouldn't you do that?
0: Yeah. Love that. So I wanted to talk about something that I saw in your book that I thought was really powerful. And that is this concept of something called the discount trigger method. So Mm -hmm. would you mind sharing with the seven figure millennial listener listening to this right now, what the discount trigger method is and how we can use it? Yeah, absolutely. So the discount
1: trigger method, um, and I try to make all these methods like, you know, based on a good title or a good story or something that really can land with people. This was inspired by a story that I heard years back about an entrepreneur who, um, you know, he was a nice enough guy, but he kept getting refund requests for um, for a product. And it was putting him out of business, really. And he, he didn't know what to do, but he still, more than him being put out of business, he felt bad that the person that had spent money on that product, that they weren't happy. So he would refund their money when they requested it, but he'd also say, listen, I feel terrible. In addition to that, here's another more expensive product. If you want it, here's a huge discount on it. Boom, Right. So he's basically taking this really expensive product and offering it for a lot less every time someone asked for a refund. But so many people took him up on that offer and loved that product that his business exploded. So what we're really talking about here is a long-winded way of every time a refund request came in or a negative thing, he took that as his cue to do something positive for himself by giving them a discount offer on something else that made him more money. And the way I fit this in with law of attraction is like, if there's something in your life that happens, whether it's a recurring thing or something that's out of the blue, you want to use that. You want to be ready with something in your head that you can focus on that's positive in response to it. Because like, if you, I know we've got a lot of entrepreneurs listening, but let's say you've got a boss. If you've got a boss who yells at you every single day, predictably about the same bullshit to be really candid, and you know, it's going to happen every day. Well, again, let's be strategic. What can you get out of this? If you're not stopping them from screaming at you, if that's just who they are, you're going to tell yourself, okay, every time I want to make a lot more money and I'm looking for the perfect uh, partner. Every time my boss yells at me now, I have a little piece of paper that I had on my desk. I'm going to read it and I'll write all the things I'm grateful for about all the money and all the, the, the love that's on the way in my life. And then boom, you've taken something that's negative that's happening all over and over again and you've used it as your inspiration or as your cue to instill positivity into your life And more importantly, positively in your mindset so that you will start thinking that way naturally more and more and more and more.
0: I love that. And it reminded me of one of, I guess I would say it's one of my favorite books. It's a phenomenal book, is the book Atomic Habits by James Clear. Mm -hmm. And when he talks about forming habits, you need like a trigger to then, to to give you an understanding of when you should take the next action. So I think the example he gives in the book is like, when I do this, then I will blank. So it's like, when I shut my laptop off for lunch, I will do 10 push push-ups. But the, the, the key to it is that you have to it has to be something very specific. Cause otherwise, if it's not like a specific thing in your brain, your brain will kind of allow it to be murky water and then not actually do the thing. So I love that this discount trigger method is based on like, okay, when this negative experience happens or this thing, I can predictively, you know, forecast, you know, when it happens, this is my response to it. And then you can actually condition it to something powerful. So I love that. And I I just wanted to tie that into atomic habits. I wanted to keep going with a few few of these things that I thought were really valuable that I just want to make sure people get. Um, Another one that I I would love to highlight is the protecting the prize method. I thought this one was really powerful. So maybe share the story that you share in the book and then talk about how we can use that as well.
1: Absolutely. Well, so uh, more interesting trivia. I mean, you've gotten that someone made me think I wanted to be a dentist when I was a kid and you got the whole comic artist car cartoonist thing a lot of people don't know um I I've, I'm into MMA and I actually was trained for a while by um a UFC UFC fighter Uriah Hall and um the reason I bring that up is because he made it to UFC and from following him I got interested in the whole sport and I remember um through that learning about um one of the the I think one of the people in the women's bantamweight weight division where um she was going up the ranks And basically what she did was um, she had a a sports psychologist. She walked her through two uh, visualizations. One was winning the the world championship, but the other one was defending it. And I think it's really important distinction because a lot of people, you know, they they go to this point of like, let me picture me finally getting married or finally getting that raise and all these things. And it feels a little bit too distant for them. But what if you already put yourself in the mindset of having achieved it already? It's a little less stressful, a little less pressure, and it's more creative and more um, vibrant for your mind to kind of take over. So rather than picturing yourself getting the thing, imagine what you would do in that life experience if you already had it. So just the way she would be visualizing herself defending her title because she was already the world champion. If you want to be in the perfect relationship, you want to visualize yourself thinking of good data ideas to maintain the relationship, or you want to visualize yourself like what you're going to do on all, on your next big um, retreat for your company, or whatever it might be, you want to come up with a scenario where you're already having what you want, and what you're doing in order to maintain or protect that and take care of whatever it is that you want, whether it's a relationship, a job, a business, a client or anything else.
0: The frame is so important. The container is so important. And I, it, that can be for questions, that can be for visualization, but I love that perspective. And that's why I wanted to make sure people heard this from, from Andrew, because I think that you're right it's one thing to visualize the outcome, but it's another thing to visualize protecting the outcome or what it would be like to already have it. It just puts you in a completely different mind state. And it kind of, it it already assumes the fact that you have accomplished what you said. I know it's kind of just reiterating exactly what you said, but I just think that's such a powerful way to visualize it. And just to add something real quick,
1: even though I didn't specifically do it in this situation, just because I think it's good. It's like you asked me before, how did, you know, what do, why do I think I got so many reviews and why do I think as an independent publisher, I was able to sell 50,000 copies in a year. If I was using this method for this situation back when I was writing the book, I would probably start to make out my answer like, okay, one day a really awesome podcast host is going to ask me how I did it. What am I going to answer them with? And I could literally Mm. write my answer and have it waiting for me. That's an example that I want people to use in their life because maybe someone wants to start a business and they're going to be asked about like, well, what's your favorite part about the business? Okay, let me tell you what what my favorite part about the business is. Or there's some other scenario where you're preparing right now in advance for it that'll translate really well. And by the way, it'll make you really feel good. It'll send instructions to your subconscious mind. If you believe it, it'll send instructions to the universe as well. And you might even end up taking a lot of inspired action to get there even faster and in a more enjoyable way.
0: Okay, so I prom—I I said I would put a period on the copywriting thing, but I'm going to break that period and continue continue the conversation on copywriting because this is another uh, like thing that I have learned from copywriting. It's like you need to paint a picture in someone's mind when you are writing effective copy, yes. right? And you can also leverage that on yourself. Exactly what Andrew's talking about is a clear like saying, oh, I will achieve this thing. Maybe you can kind of have a visualization of it. But like like Andrew said, imagining yourself being on a podcast and being answered this question is something that your brain can picture. And like the more that you can picture it, and this actually ties into my work with when I was working with Jonathan Levy. Um, you know, he teaches accelerated learning and memory. And these people that can memorize a deck of cards in like 10 seconds or some crazy shit like that, they practice these, these visualization skills because our brain is programmed to remember visual things more than anything else. Because it's like when we were, you know, roaming around in herds, herds, is that the word for for humans roaming around? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But when when we were out there, you know, it's like we would have to remember if that red berry was poisonous and like the visualization or learning how to get back to our water hole or find water when, when we need to bring it back to our tribe, like all those things from an evolutionary perspective have been programmed that that visual information is really important. So there's a whole bunch I can just kind of say here, but if you want to memorize things more, think about how you can create a visualization for it. That's just one thing, but it connects to the law of attraction too and copywriting and everything that we've been talking about today is because the clearer you can get the picture in your mind, in your prospects mind the the more likely it is going to materialize in the result that you want. Yeah. And so I just wanted to highlight that I think that's a component of almost all of your exercises that you teach in the book.
1: And just to follow up because you know we're back on copywriting which you know I love, copywriting is about communication and by learning about that communicating with others you are simultaneously learning how to communicate with yourself. Why not take advantage of that growing skill set? And another quick aside you know, Olympic athletes, they visualize in their mind, winning the event over and over and over and over and over again, because scientific studies have shown that your subconscious mind cannot tell the difference between something you're picturing and actual physical reality. It's all the same to your mind. So you might as well take advantage of that.
0: Yeah. And I've, this is just a recurring theme and I've just kind of accepted this now, and this has come up on almost everything. Maybe it's just because my reticular activating system is looking for it. And this is kind of in my mind. But the first time I heard this quote was from uh, Brian and Carrie, and they shared this quote that changed your life. And it's like, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will control your life and you will call it fate. I think I got that word for word. That's Carl Jung. And 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 there's so there's so much. Now I'm realizing there's so many layers to that quote because it's like, one, from a business perspective, the more that you can understand what you are unconsciously doing to get the results. Cause there's lots of things that you are, if you're listening to this, you're, there are things that you are consciously doing, unconsciously doing, sorry, right now that are getting you results that people would love to have that. And so the more you can tap into that unconscious level of competence that you have and share that with other people, you can monetize that in your business. So that's one thing. And then we were talking about this law of attraction stuff too. It's like this mental garbage that's in your head that, you know, that's been conditioned from childhood. These, these negative thought patterns or whatever it may be. Those are also things that are running your life. And like, we need to learn how to get rid of those. And so there's so much, about this unconscious stuff. And, and I think you talk about that a lot in the book, Andrew, of like three different kinds of consciousness. Mm. And so I don't know if maybe you wanted to comment on what I said there, or if you wanted to talk about your experience with the unconscious. Yeah, well, so
1: even just to, through the lens of what the book says, the,
0: the way I describe it, and I realize I'm not a clinical
1: psychologist and they might define this differently, but I see this as having three minds. We've got the conscious mind and we've got the subconscious mind, but in the middle, we have what I define as the ego. And the ego has only one job in this life. And by the way, the ego is way stronger than the conscious mind, but nothing compared to the subconscious. The ego only cares about you being alive. It only cares about your survival. And right now, in this moment, for everyone that wants to be, you know, a a seven-figure millennial, someone that wants to like move on in their life, well, whatever money problems you have right now, and whatever health problems and career problems and relationship problems, all those things, all your ego knows right now is you are alive. So there are internal blocks that you don't even see because it doesn't want to risk the status quo because someone out there might want to be rich and famous, for example, but for all your ego knows when you're famous, you're going to get a stalker and that's a threat to your survival. When you're rich, you're going to have a bunch of distant family coming out of the woodwork, trying to take your money from you. Another threat to your survival. So your ego, it actually loves you in a misguided way though. It is trying to hold you in place because it's not interested in your satisfaction in your fulfillment in your comfort. Um, or anything like that. It just knows that you're alive right now and it doesn't know what might happen otherwise. This is why we talk ourselves out of working out. This is why we um, find ourselves like, oh my God, why did I say that to that person? I didn't really mean that. It's because we are being guided in a certain way, which, you know, again, good news is subconscious mind is stronger, which is why I would encourage people, find a method, whether it's gratitude or visualization or anything like that, that you can do for a couple minutes a day that you look forward to, that bypasses the ego Hits the subconscious mind, which will do a lot of the heavy lifting for you.
0: Hmm. One other thing that you said in the book that I want on the topic of ego that I thought would be interesting to ask as well is you said, and I correct me if I don't get the quote correct here, but the secret to soothing the ego is feeling good. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like as entrepreneurs, this is something I always like to highlight when I have the opportunity. It's like it's so easy as an entrepreneur that's super driven. You have all these goals to beat yourself up for not getting everything done that you wanted during the day or as far as the week, or you're not as far as you wanted to be at this point in your life. And so I was just kind of curious to talk, have a discussion about that and what you found to be true as far as soothing the ego and how we can make it feel good and not sabotage ourselves as much. Yeah. Well,
1: there's two pieces. I mean, one, I almost sound like a broken record, but believe it or not, if you do five minutes of gratitude every single day, and by the way, you know, I'm happy to teach one of the gratitude methods from the book. But if you do that yeah. every single day, that's going to really inform the way you carry yourself in a way that you could never appreciate or realize until it actually happens. Um, but also, I mean, for entrepreneurs, we're, we're always going to be the hardest on ourselves. We're always going to judge ourselves. And again, it comes back to a question of what question can you ask yourself? where the answer is going to empower you. And not only, you know, not just cause like, Oh, look at me. I'm empowered. But again, I'm a strategy guy. What can you do so that you are actually carrying yourself in a better way that's more conducive to your happiness and your success mm-hmm. and whatever that might, might be. I mean, for me, the, the question is how do, if, if a, an earlier version of me was, was watching me right now and was learning from me about how to be successful in business, what would I want that person to see? And all of a sudden I have a new context. Like, Okay, what do I want that person to see when I'm upset that I didn't do enough, or I think I didn't do enough? Like, what's a healthier perspective that I can say and, and, and reach out to so that they can learn? So that's one example of many. But again, just going to gratitude, it will really do so much for you. It'll build mental resilience. It will build emotional maturity. It'll build emotional resilience. Like, so many different things will add up when you do that.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I know we're kind of running up on time here. So let's, let's maybe dive into that because we've talked about protecting the prize method. That's a visualization method, the Mm -hmm. discount trigger method, which I guess that's a form of both almost gratitude and also visualization. Maybe you can categorize that, but like, if you wanted to share some of the specific ways that we could be more grateful in our lives to attract more of what we want, and we'd love to ask and dive into that a little bit.
1: Yeah. So one, my favorite one is the time-lapse method. And I'll, I'll go real fast because people have this recording and they can just play it back. You're going to write a list of 15 things that you're grateful for, five from your past, five from your present, and five that you want in your future. Mm. You're going to write them all out in the present tense where you couldn't tell if it's really yours or not. And then you're going to reorder that list. So maybe the first thing is a present and then a past and a future, whatever. And you're going to read each item on the list and give yourself 20 to 60 seconds to feel gratitude for that thing. And the really cool thing is two thirds of that list is real. It either happened or is happening. But because we as humans don't downshift very easily, when you also read those future things, it's going to carry the same confidence and certainty and happiness and gratitude that you had for the other pieces. So it's just going to be a positive emotional experience while simultaneously um, really adjusting your vibration for the universe. Or if you don't believe in that sort of thing, programming your subconscious mind for success. It's really fast. It's really fun. It's really easy. I highly recommend it. But also one thing I'll tell people what I do every single day, every day, I pull out my phone and I record a message of all the things I'm grateful for. And I send that to my friend um, across the country. And he does the same thing back for me. And what I've done is I've installed a social pressure. I don't want to let him down. So, of course, I'm going to take 90 seconds out. And it forces me to verbalize the things I'm grateful for every single day. You do something like that. Eventually, you're going to be like, wow, I really do have it good. I have a heart beating in my chest, which has been beating since the day I was born. I have... This device that I'm listening to, to Brandon on every single time. I can do my email, I can communicate with people, I can run my business. I have resources, I have resourcefulness, I have motivation and drive to listen to podcasts like these and to take forward action where a lot of people are sitting on their asses doing nothing. I'm so grateful to be me. And by the way, everything I'm doing right now is in service to my future self, just the way my past self-I'm like me, Brandon. I'm so grateful to my past self who went through those nine and a half weeks of grueling, making sure the book was perfect. I'm grateful to my past self who did all the legwork of getting all those reviews because now I get to take, you know, I get to enjoy the benefits of it where he works so hard. And this also reminds me that I get to be the person who my future self is going to be thanking for me. So what can I do to make sure he's grateful as well? Like it's so impossible to not be grateful when you just give yourself enough of an opportunity to think about it.
0: That is so so powerful to see the combination of your past, present, and future selves. So I would just highly encourage anybody to do that. I will absolutely be experimenting with that. And it reminds me, it's funny. At the time of this recording, I was saying that my my birthday is this coming Sunday. Um, and and one of the traditions that I do on my birthday is I write a letter to myself the next year older. So so today on or on my on my twenty fifth birthday, I will read the letter that I wrote myself on my 24th birthday. And I think I started it on my 22nd or 21st birthday, something along those lines. But it's one of those like kind of crazy, trippy, cool experiences, just kind of see a mix of like past versions of yourself and they really are separate people, especially if you're listening to this kind of content you're growing, like the person that you were a year ago is probably not even close to the person that you are today. And so I love the micro level of doing that on a daily basis with gratitude. Um, just because it's one of my favorite things I do every single year is reading what the heck I wrote myself a year ago. And so I love the fact that that's something you can do all the time. <laughs> so yep. thank you for giving us that tool. That's and just a quick powerful. thing,
1: Brandon, just, I mentioned that I say it because some people, they don't like to write and some people don't like to type. You can do the mm. spoken version of this, no matter whether it's writing, typing, or speaking, always do what works best for you. Because the whole key to all this is that whatever you do, you have to enjoy. There's nothing wrong with tweaking it in the way that you're going to enjoy it so that you do it consistently every single day.
0: Yeah. Love that. Okay. So I wanted to ask uh, two more questions. One is kind of like uh, putting a bow on everything. And the other one is kind of figuring out where more people can find out about the stuff that you have going on. So really quickly, um, if if, you, if people could kind of, Get one main message from this whole podcast. What would you want them to take away if they forgot everything else?
1: Gratitude is way more powerful than you will ever realize. And you're not going to find out unless giving it a try. And it's free to try.
0: So just do it. (laughs) It's free. I love that. Love that! And uh, where can people find? Obviously, go check out the law, the last law of attraction book, you, last law of attraction book you'll ever need to read. You can find that on Amazon really easily. Is there any other place that people should find out or check out all the incredible stuff that you're working on? Yeah,
1: absolutely. And just you know, for even for ease, if people, at least in the states, if you go to lastlawofattractionbook.com, it'll auto forward to the Amazon listing. You can get it on Kindle, paperback, or auto, audible. Um, But if you don't want to pull out your wallet, you can go to youtube.com/slash andrewcap where I do a lot of uh, content in support of it. It's obviously free. And you probably want to check Brandon out because by the time this episode comes out, Brandon's interview on my Shattered the Mold podcast will also be out there. So um, you want to check out Shattered and um, His episode will be up and waiting by the time you hear this. So you definitely want to check that out and hear Brandon and all his awesomeness.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much. And wow, YouTube, I've never heard of that site before. You'll have to tell me tell me about that. But I know, I know, I know <laughs> Andrew's creating with. some awesome yeah, new resource. <laughs> um, so everybody can go check out the awesome content that Andrew's creating on his YouTube channel, the last law of attraction book you'll ever need to read uh, on Amazon and check it out. And like Andrew said, gratitude is free. So go make that happen. Attract some incredible things in your life. And Andrew, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate you.
1: Thank you, Brian. I'm I appreciate you, man. I'm really grateful for this opportunity and I love this conversation.
0: Hey, it's Brandon here again And I have a quick favor to ask Before you head off And that is If you are listening to my voice Right now